Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, he said to them, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Then he proceeded to tell them what is known as the Lord's Prayer, an amazing example of how we are to pray. When Jesus taught his disciples about the power of having faith, he said in Mark eleven twenty four, Therefore I tell you, who, at whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. There are many examples in the Gospels of Jesus praying. Luke 5, 15 through 16 says, uh, News about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. When the disciples couldn't drive out a demon, out of a young demon-possessed boy, they asked Jesus why. And he said, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Jesus prayed right after he was baptized. He prayed while he was in the most, on the most uh, stressful night of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed crying out while hanging on the cross. Jesus prayed, church. Amen. He prayed. Are you awake this morning? Yeah. Jesus prayed. God the Son prayed and he prayed often. He depended on it. He depended on his prayer life, and that prayer life anchored him in a way that's a great example for all of us here today. The new series we started last week entitled Anchors is about some of the most powerful spiritual anchors that Christ has made available to us. We talked about the Word of God last week and how we need to be in it and have it be a part of our lives and how it anchors us in our faith. And this week we're going to talk about and go over some awesome, another awesome anchor, which is the anchor of prayer. What would we do if we couldn't pray? It's a great question, but maybe the question should be, what can we do if we don't pray? The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence, omnipotence. He was saying that prayer is the key if you want to see the power of God displayed. And let's be honest, church, it's about time for the power of God to be displayed in Indianola and the surrounding area. This is where we all live. This is where we have chosen to put down our roots and, and let God use us. And if we want to see people saved, delivered, healed, and set free through the power of God displayed, then we absolutely need to be a people of prayer. Prayer is our porthole. A porthole on a ship is usually a uh, circular window in the, in the hull of, that permits light and fresh air to enter the dark and often damp below deck quarters of the ship. That's what a porthole is. It, it also gives those below deck a view to the outside world. Prayer is like a porthole on that ship. And first of all, when when it's opened, it, it lets his light shine on the darkness we find ourselves living in. 
Have you ever been saturated with darkness? Like in a cave or maybe a room that has no light whatsoever? It can be a little unnerving, especially if you're trying to move around in it. We have all experienced shadows of darkness. I have no doubt about that. But we're, we're in moments of, of depression or overwhelming grief and even those times of anxiety or panic. Um, we've all experienced that. But, but some of you know what I'm talking about when I say saturated by the darkness of those same things. Where, where those things come in, that the grief or the anxiety or the panic or, or whatever it might be, and it's so heavy that it feels like you are wearing it. It feels like you can't escape it. You know, scientifically, light has properties like that of ocean waves. Light waves have crests and troughs, and you can measure the distance between these crests, which is how we actually measure the speed of light. When you think of God creating light itself, it's so incredible. This might blow your mind a little bit. Some of you might try to get your minds around this. Some of you might not. It's fine. But, but he created light with properties that would automatically always expel darkness. Have you ever thought about that? Darkness can never overwhelm light. That's why when one candle in a completely dark room, uh, if it's lit, it always allows us to see just a little bit. By, by nature and the very properties of light itself, light will always overwhelm darkness. In John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Prayer is a porthole, church, that acts as light. It connects us to the Father of lights, as James calls him in Scripture. Any connection to that light begins to dispel the darkness in our lives. And when we actively engage in prayer, it becomes the very porthole that lets the light into our lives and our situation. And it literally begins to overwhelm the darkness that we're going through or we're experiencing in the moment. Prayer is like a porthole in that it brings light into our life. It connects us to the light. An open porthole can act as a fresh air intake for those below deck. Prayer opens a, a up heaven's windows of, of refreshment for us in the same way. No matter how stale or stuffy our spiritual lives can become sometimes. Anybody ever have a stale or stuffy uh, spiritual life? You don't want to admit it? You ever get kind of stale and stuffy in your walk with Jesus? Happens, doesn't it? No matter how stale or stuffy it gets, you can always open that porthole of, of prayer and, and it opens the floodgates of God's refreshing presence in our lives. You see, I don't think God goes, well, you haven't talked to me for a while, so I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I think God chases us all the time. He pursues us with a relentless love. And most of the time, if we would just think about it and go, whoa, who's chasing me? And we turn around in the midst of our, there's Jesus right there waiting to hear your prayer, talk with you, commune with you, fellowship with you, be with you. He loves you so much. You know, I, I have uh, only been, I've only experienced uh, delib de 
uh, debilitating is the word I'm trying to say, uh, fear a couple of times in my life. One of those is the first time I witnessed my wife having an asthma attack. And she was, you know, going through the motions of trying to breathe, and, but her lungs wouldn't take any oxygen in that a person needs. And some of you that have been around someone with asthma, or if you have asthma yourself, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I just froze in fear. I mean, we were married. We were newly married. Hadn't been married very long. And I just froze in fear. There, there was nothing that I could do. You know, we're all fixers, aren't we? We all like to fix things. You men especially, let's just fix the problem. Assess the situation. Logically think. Now we do this, this, this. A plus B equals C, right? She was unable to breathe, and I couldn't do anything. Completely helpless. It was completely out of my control. She couldn't even talk to me to tell me what she needed. And it was paralyzing as fear just overwhelmed me as I watched her color change and her body become weaker and weaker by the second. So prayer was my go-to. Not because I was so spiritual at the time, but it was all I had left. It was the only thing I had left. Nothing else. I wish I could say that prayer is always my first go-to for the problem that I'm experiencing or some kind of problem resolution that I'm, that I'm needing. But historically for me, I forget or I, I find myself depending on what I think I know I should do. Have you ever been there? You're going through something and you're like, I'll take care of that. And prayer is not my first thought, not my first go-to. But I'm learning it should be our first go-to. My wife made it, by the way. Um, she, she lived. Um, prayer does work, right? And, and in, in this case, prayer was quite literally a porthole for her to breathe. Sometimes life can be suffocating and we can feel cut off from our spiritual air because of what we're experiencing. But prayer... Like that porthole thrown open, it just, it just opens up those airways so we can breathe freely again in Jesus. And just like portholes and ships or windows into what's happening outside the ship, prayer can be our window into a whole other realm. Through prayer, we can operate in the spiritual realm and come to an understanding of what's taking place in that realm. We all understand this physical realm, don't we? We see it, we smell it, we can physically touch the things in this realm, but just because we don't physically see or touch the spiritual realm on a daily basis doesn't make it any less real, church. It's actually more real than this physical realm we are saturated with because it's, it's, it's a realm uh, that, that isn't temporary like this realm is. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Calling out to God is communication with God. It's the very essence of what prayer is, communicating with God. And let's be clear, it's a two-way communication, right? We talk and we listen. He talks and he listens. And we call, and we call upon him and he answers. You know, I, I think of this all the time, and I've said this many times from the pulpit here, but my dad always used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. He wants you to listen more than you talk. That is really good advice. 
even when we're praying. Because how many know we can say a lot of words when we're praying, babbling like the pagans, I read that verse, on and on and on and on and on and on and on, whether it's a memorized prayer or just words that we just can't. You know, God has more to say that's important than what we have to say to him. And not that we shouldn't talk to him, I'm saying we should, but we need to listen to him just as much. And I think there's a lot of people that struggle with that. Well, I don't know what to do when I pray. Well, I don't know what to say. Say what you need to say, and then sit there and listen. Communicate with him. Pray. That's what it is. Prayer in our minds, it seems like, is talking. But prayer in our minds should be listening and talking. Amen? Amen. If we listen, he will tell us great and hidden things, like Jeremiah 33, 3 says, great and hidden things which currently we don't know. I wish we could, like, peel back this physical realm. Like, just, just peel back the layer of this realm and see the, the realm that's just behind it. The spiritual realm. I wish we could see it with our physical eyes. I think we'd be absolutely shocked. The high activity of angels working on our behalf. The demonic traps that are trying to be laid to distract us and even, you know, keep us in bondage to sins. If we could see that realm with our physical eyes, and we could see what our prayers do in that realm and how our prayers affect this realm. I don't think prayer would be a problem. I've heard it said that the average Christian prays seven seconds a day. I think if we could see into the spiritual realm and we actually could understand how that affects that realm and how that affects this realm, I, I think we would be blown away and I think we'd pray a lot more. The average would not be seven seconds. Let me just put it that way. The spiritual realm is real, and there's a war for humanity that's been raging since God created mankind in his own image. Prayer is like a porthole that gives us access into that realm so we can join in the fight for souls that God has called us to be a part of. You know, we're supposed to be in a fight. Did you know it's war out there? Yes. Not for you to be happy or not happy. It's war for souls. There are people that will die today that won't make heaven. Well, Pastor Barry, God is love. Everybody goes to heaven because he's love. That's not what the scriptures say. You know, I'm with you. I wish that was true, but I can't tell you it is because the scripture is true and the scripture does not say that. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate to those that find life. Few find it. That's what the scripture says, church. So we're in this war, and we've got to engage a little bit. Our biggest weapon in that engage, engaging in that spiritual battle, in that war, is prayer, communicating and talking with God. You know, Billy Sunday, he's a famous baseball player turned preacher. Turn of the century, well, the, the turn of the century before the last turn of the century, 1900s. I'm getting old. i got to say that twice. <laughs> Famous baseball player turned preacher. Do you know that in his ministry during that time, the early 1900s, late, late 1800s into the early 1900s, that um, 
1,250,000 people were saved through his ministry. That is incredible. He's an Iowa boy, by the way. Just born north of here in Story County. He preached a lot of revivals in Iowa. He preached in Indianola. He had a profound effect on the reason that this town used to be called and joked about as the holy city. You've heard me talk about that before. Because they wouldn't sell alcohol in Indianola whatsoever. He was a big preacher against the, the evils of, of alcohol and what it does to the family. And I'm not here bashing every drink you drink, but, but let me tell you something. As a pastor, I know this absolutely, positively, 100% true, that nothing takes more food off the table and causes more damage to the family in this country than alcohol. Well, I drink responsibly. Well, good for you. I'm, it's, still not, it's still the case, though. It destroys families. I've seen it many, 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 many times. He preached against that, and we were joked about as the holy city. It's interesting. But when he came to Indianola, there's things that I read about those revivals. He wouldn't come unless the town's churches were unified because he wanted to be effective. They also did this thing where they, they didn't, I don't know if they called it an adopt-a-block. That's what we kind of call it today, right? But essentially, that's what they did. They adopted blocks of Indianola, the people that brought him in, and they went and they prayed for weeks and even months before he came in and prayed over their block. Prayed to do spiritual battle. He was so, preach, he was so um, passionate when he preached against sin, he'd, he'd stand on the pulpit sometimes. I mean, this guy was, he wasn't Assemblies of God, he was Methodist. I mean, he, he was ordained Presbyterian, but he came out of the Methodist movement. Can you imagine them doing that at Simpson? Prayer, though, was the reason his ministry saved souls. No, you know, think about it. No media. I mean, they had tent meetings. There was no air conditioning. Hard wooden bench seats. No lights. No sound systems. No fog. It was just massive amounts of prayer tearing down spiritual strongholds so the word of God could be planted in the hearts of people. And I, I think about that. The power of prayer in a world where a lot of people didn't even have electricity. The power of prayer to tear down those strongholds and for one preacher to win 1,250,000 people to the Lord. I mean, I want in on some of that. How about you guys? Yeah. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
So when I'm talking about prayer being a, a porthole into another realm or, or seeing or, or have an effect in the spiritual realm, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, getting into prayer to the place where you don't even have words and you're praying in the spirit and you're, you're actually hurting and aching and even groaning for the things that God wants. Lord, give us souls. Lord, give us souls where we're so overwhelmed by that thought of anyone perishing that we can't help but just cry out, maybe not even words, in groanings too deep for words. And I gotta tell you, this, this whole idea of prayer being a porthole, it anchors us, church. It literally anchors us. When our prayers let the light in and when they open the spiritual windows for that refreshing wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into our lives, we become more anchored in our faith. When we are made aware through our prayers of the spiritual realm around us and we start engaging and operating within that realm, it anchors us to the truth. It keeps us from getting so caught up in the things of this physical realm and it helps us stay connected to the reality of the spiritual realm, which will last forever, by the way. It anchors us. Prayer is a porthole that anchors us. Prayer is also our navigational compass. One of my, my favorite moments in the Apostle Paul's life is recorded in the book of Acts. And it's how he is led by the Holy Spirit into Macedonia. Acts 16.6 says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Hmm. Take a mental note of that. Having been kept from preaching the word. That seems odd, doesn't it? Aren't we always supposed to be preaching the word everywhere all the time, right? But the Holy Spirit kept him from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mesia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mesia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, let me put this simply for you all. Paul is going out as a missionary to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit stops him from going one direction. Then the scriptures say that the Spirit of Jesus stopped them from going another direction. Then Paul had a vision in the night of a man saying, come over and help us in this direction. This led Paul in the direction that he needed to go. And, and here's my thought with all this. You'd think that, again, taking the gospel message in any direction would be a good thing. Why would the Holy Spirit stop him? Two different times from going the directions he wanted to go. And the answer is, we don't know. Could have been for protection that we didn't know about. Could have been a doing what is best in the moment over what was merely good kind of thing. We just don't know, but we do know that God had a very specific direction for Paul, and it's a good thing that Paul's spiritual compass was working that day. The Macedonian region is the location of modern-day southeastern Europe, which is how the gospel spread to a majority of our ancestors and could be the very reason why you're sitting here today. It's obvious that Paul was incredibly connected to the Lord and his leading. And it's also absurd to think that his connection wouldn't have included a dynamic, powerful prayer life. We 
No, he did. In 1 Thessalonians, he admonished us to pray without ceasing. <laughs> you talk about calling out what we need to be doing. Pray without ceasing. I mean, that's, that's going for the moon, right? That's shooting for the moon. That's swinging for the fence in your prayer life. I'm going to pray without ceasing. I will never stop. I will pray all the time, every minute of every day, every second of every hour. Is that what that means? I don't think so. I think what Paul is saying, and it's, it's, it's still a great call to us, he's saying, be in a constant conversation all the time with God. Never stop in your conversation with him. Always be aware of what he's saying to you. Have your time of prayer. You bet, pray, and that time might be an hour, it might be a half hour, it might be 10 minutes. I don't know what it is. It doesn't really matter, but have that time with him, and then all throughout the rest of the day, be listening to him. Under your breath, be talking to him all day long. It's not, it, it's the opposite of, I've put my 15 minutes in and I've checked my box and now I'm done for the day. Super Christian! <laughs> I've prayed 15 minutes! Dun, 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 you know? We kind of think of it that way. But it's not like that. He wants to have this ongoing, never ceasing conversation with you. And yeah, you have those moments where you're so focused in on what he's saying and what you need to say to him and just bearing your heart and your soul and your emotions and all of it. You have those times, but then walk, in, uh, the walk through the rest of your day talking and listening the whole day through. He was incredibly connected. I believe Paul really was. He also says to the Corinthians, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul prayed all the time. He was, he was in a constant conversation with God. He, he even prayed in the spirit with the gift of praying in tongues. He talked to God, in a, I mean, in perfect prayers when he didn't even know what to say because he, he jumped into the, the gift of speaking in tongues and, and prayed things that, that he didn't even necessarily know what he was saying himself, but they were perfect prayers. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit does for you folks. That's a whole other message that we could really get into and be a lot of fun. We'll do that soon. His prayer life was his spiritual navigational compass. It led him daily. And I think that's an incredible point to make here. It's one thing to have a vision for your life where you know and you can see God where he wants to take you. It's an entirely different thing to have that daily connection that keeps you impeccably on course every day. Daily prayers, our navigational compass, can keep us from detours, no matter how big or small. I don't know about you, but I don't like taking detours, especially in life. You cannot have an accurate spiritual navigational compass without a solid daily prayer life. You just can't have it. You can't, you can't, one doesn't work with the other. So many of us, uh, you know, we don't use paper maps anymore, do we? Most of us in this room probably couldn't even fold a paper map. For you young'uns, in the sixth grade, I had a, 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 a unit in one of my classes that was literally titled Map Folding, and we practiced folding maps. <laughs> it's funny, but how many remember a class like that? Okay, only in my dumb town. No, some of you? <laughs> okay. It wasn't like a month long. I mean, we weren't that, you know, it was... <laughs> It was like a day, you know, it was a unit, but we didn't study it for months or anything like that. <laughs> we don't use paper maps anymore, do we? We use GPS. 
Sometimes even when we know where we're going, we use it. How many have ever done that? No, exactly where we're going, but we still punch it in. Just in case. It's just kind of fun, I think, to see your location and where you're at currently and in reference to the physical terrain around you. And how many like watching that little blue arrow moving down the highway and sometimes even playing mental games with it, you know? What direction am I going right now? I'm not going to look. Okay, I'm going this. Yep, I'm right. Yeah, you're driving. Don't close your eyes and don't look at the blue arrow. But. And busy, big city driving, it's so much easier with GPS, right? City driving always made me nervous. I grew up in a town that didn't even have a, uh, not, not in a county that didn't have a stoplight in it. And um, so city driving always made me nervous. But, but it doesn't anymore with the GPS lady telling me what lane to be in and how many feet until I have to turn the direction she tells me to turn. And, and how many remember the days, maybe your parents or maybe it was you or maybe it still is this way if you don't have GPS, but you remember the days of your wife holding the map and navigating from the passenger seat. And how many know the marriages that have been saved since the nice GPS lady <laughs> has taken over? She just makes it so easy, right? She has such a soothing voice. You can get her in British accents, which is lovely. How many, when you put her in British accents, why, why does she sound smarter? Have you noticed that? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a GPS for our life? Maybe we call it a SPNC, a Spiritual Positioning Navigational Compass, to always tell us where we're at and where we need to go. That'd be really nice, wouldn't it? Well, you do have it. It's called your prayer life. Your prayer life. Your, our prayer connects us in a way that GPS could never connect us. It not only leads us on the best path through the storms of life, it can begin to dictate our path in a way that is in perfect alignment with God's will. Prayer is our navigational compass, church. It connects us to our Savior, and he never gives us bad information. Sometimes the GPS lady does, doesn't she? What an anchor we have through prayer. What a navigational compass for our lives. Yet sadly, Many Christians will never experience the peace that comes from a prayer life that allows God to lead them, to really lead them. So prayer is like a porthole. It's, prayer is our navigational compass, and prayer keeps us buoyant. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look pretty buoyant. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to say to your neighbor. The older I get, the more buoyant I get. I don't know why that is, but it's like floating is effortless now. I don't Prayer keeps us buoyant. Most of you have probably heard of riptides, cross currents, undertoes, rip currents, all these are different in where and how they occur, but they all have this in common. You definitely don't want to get caught in one. They create turbulent water caused by one current flowing over or into or across another. They're unpredictable and they're dangerous. 
And without a flotation device to stay buoyant, even the best swimmers can drown in these currents. And as you all know, in this life, we encounter and sometimes accidentally or even incidentally fall into turbulent currents from time to time. We make rash decisions. We speak before we think. Anybody ever do that? And then we experience the consequences. A love, maybe, it's a, a, maybe it's a loved one passes away. These, a, a sickness hits our house, and, and then you find out your taxes went up right after your refrigerator quit working. You know, some are accidental, some are incidental. They just happen. But whether it's accidental or incidental turbulent currents you find yourself in, and trying to maintain buoyancy in the middle of, don't uh, forget that your daily prayer life is your flotation device. An active, consistent prayer life. I want you to say active, consistent prayer life. That's what keeps you buoyant. It keeps our heads above water so that we aren't in danger of getting sucked down by life's undertoes. You know, when I was six, I was, I was visiting my grandma. I was living in southwest Minnesota at the time, and uh, that's where I grew up. And I was visiting my grandma, my grandma Hill, who lived down by the Raccoon River up near uh, just, uh, just by Carroll, Iowa, kind of right by the, the, the town of Auburn, actually, is where she lived. And um, she had an acreage in the country of about 28 acres right along the Raccoon River. And we did a lot of catfishing there, and we spent a lot of time playing on a big natural sandbar that, that was part of her property. And, and, and one day, we decided to go swimming, and it was, you know, a number of us, my, my, my dad, my brother, myself, I think my, I know my uncle was there, and, and a, maybe a couple of his kids, I don't remember all the kids that were there. But we decided to go swimming off that sandbar, and it must be because the fishing wasn't good that day. Uh, but anyway, we were, we were out in the shallow water splashing around, and we were getting further and further away from the shore. And it's not that big of a river. I mean, as a kid, you, you saw it, and you're like, whoa, you know, but it's not that wide. And, but we were out there, and it was shallow, and you could see the, you know, most, most of it was a foot, two foot, maybe, maybe not any more than that deep. And we kept getting further and further, and, and I, I took that one last step, that there was kind of a shelf, and I just went boom, down. It was deep. Hit a hole. And there was an undertow that also was sucking me down. I remember as a six-year-old thinking, looking up and just seeing that, like, I saw the light. No, I saw the light from the sun up there, and I could see, and I was just, I was, I was just going down. I have that Whenever I see a, vision or a, or a picture like that or a movie like that, it makes me remember it instantly. So I, I know it was, it was pretty traumatic for me. I, I, I also don't know too much about my six-year-old life. I don't remember a lot about being six, but I do remember that. And I remember as I was being sucked down, and I was trying to swim. I could swim at six. I was trying to swim. I hit the bottom, or what felt like the bottom of the river, and I tried to kick off, and I, I kicked off, and it took me up, and I was able just to get my head above water, suck up some air, and then the undertow yanked me right back down. And then I did it again, and I remember going down again. And I don't know how many times that happened. It seemed like an eternity. That's, that's how it is when you're going through something like that. But then a hand reached down and grabbed me by the top. Well, not the head. It grabbed my hair. Let's just be honest. Grabbed my hair uh, and uh, pulled me out and drug me up on, off that hole, out of that hole and back up into the shallow water and, of course, eventually under the shore. 
And um, it, was, uh, it was the hand of my Uncle Larry. And he saved my life that day. I have no doubt. I have no doubt about that. Psalm 55.22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And I, I take that as pushed around, moved, sucked down. An active prayer life is like the hand that reaches in, grabs you, and pulls you to safety when you're being sucked in by the undertoes and cross currents of this life. Like a flotation device that keeps your head above water and you stay buoyant no matter how strong a hold that current might have on you. And I need to be honest here, and, and maybe this is a little unpopular. You know, I'm not popular anyway, so I got nothing to lose. Emergency prayers in times of emergencies, they can save your life for sure. That's how unbelievable God is. But daily prayers can keep us from falling into those emergency situations to begin with. I, I'm going to say that again because it's so true. Emergency prayers in times of emergencies can save your life. That's how unbelievable God is, absolutely. But daily prayers can keep you from falling into those emergency situations to begin with. There's a lot of people in the kingdom of God, in the churches across this great country. A lot of people maybe even in here this morning, I'm so unpopular, that only pray when it's an emergency. I'm in control all the time until something really tough happens. Man, then I'm a man of prayer. How about we become men and women of prayer all the time? Amen. All the time. You watch how many less emergencies you'll have. You know, if you're in a cycle of living from chaos to chaos, to, to emergence, from emergency to emergency, from situation to situation, from drama to drama, however you want to say it, if you're in that vicious cycle that happens to so many of us, why don't you try this? I love you. Try becoming a man or a woman of prayer and watch how that might just change. Completely. Prayer keeps us buoyant and it anchors us. It anchors us. Emergency prayers can still happen, by the way. Not distant emergency prayers. Don't remember this message when you're in the midst of, of your next emergency and go, Pastor Barry said I shouldn't pray when I'm in an emergency. I never said that, <laughs> did I? You pray when there's an emergency. You absolutely do. But my point is, is that it's the daily prayers that keep you consistently buoyant. It's the difference between needing the lifeguard throwing you a flotation ring when you're in trouble and you wearing a life vest so that you don't even have to get into the trouble. That's the difference. And it works that way because God loves you and will save you as you cry out to him. But when you're in active communication with him on a daily basis, his company and his presence, it changes you to the point where your perspective changes, your decisions stay in line with his will, and it keeps you from those things that threaten your faith. Prayer keeps you buoyant, people. And in closing today, I, I want to challenge you. And, and, and I, I know this hasn't been a how-to-pray kind of sermon. Every, every single one of you already knows how to pray. You know how to communicate, don't you? Yes. Well, then you know how to pray. Because that's all prayer is. It's communicating with God. That's prayer. Talk to him. 
write to him in those journals, in those soap journals. It's a great way to communicate with him. Some of you are like, I just never know what to say, but I can write like crazy. Then write like crazy. Write to God. Write him letters and stick them in your Bible. That's, that's how you send them, right? You stick them in your Bible. Talk to him. Write to him. If all you know how to do, young people, is text, and I, I know there's a few of you out there like that. How many of you have ever been in a room with a young person that can't talk, but they can text? How many of you have ever been texted from across the room? And not like just information you're talking about, about just like, hey, how are you doing today? It's kind of weird. But if that's all you can do, that's fine. Then text God. Send it to yourself. I don't care. I mean, text him. Do whatever you can to communicate with him. Cry when you're in his presence. Laugh when you spend time with him. Tell him how you feel, what's important to you. And listen as you ask him for what's important to you and and, and what's important to him. Let your relationship become the most intimate relationship you've ever had and that you do have, period. That's prayer. All, and that kind of prayer will anchor you in your faith in a way that keeps you strong through any of life's undertoes, hardships, circumstances, situations. Prayers are a porthole, providing light, fresh air, and access to the spiritual realm that's, that's all around us. Prayers are a navigational compass. It guides us in our decisions and keeps us and gives us direction. And prayers buoyancy in this life. It will keep your faith afloat in the, the midst of any turbulent current. And the, the challenge this morning is to just do it. Like, we can talk about it all day, but until the church does it, it doesn't really matter, does it? You can't continue to grow as a child of God if you don't enter in, into an active daily prayer life. Man, I'm ready to grow in Jesus, but I don't like praying, so I'm not going to pray. Well, good luck. Remember when I said last week, well, I don't like to read. I'm not going to read the Word of God. Well, then go sit in the corner and suck your thumb because you're a baby and you're going to stay that way. (laughs) I I mean, is that just real or what? The same thing with prayer. Well, I don't like talking to God. It takes time. I don't have time to do that. Okay. Then don't grow. Don't, don't, Don't spend time with Him. You won't grow. That's a really nasty way of saying that, isn't it? I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm kidding. I'm not. You will just stay the immature baby Christian that you are, and more than likely, that won't be for long because you will eventually walk away from the Savior. You'll walk away from the bloody old rugged cross that they nailed him to. It takes prayer. And many of you are great prayers, so I'm not, I'm not beating the sheep this morning. We offered the Bible reading journals last week and have already been getting a ton of good feedback from them. And you people are getting into the Word. I, I just need to say this. I, I felt compelled to say this a couple of times this morning. And do you love the meat? Do you love spiritual meat or spiritual milk? I love spiritual meat. Do you know what I'm telling you this morning? I'm giving you spiritual meat. You're like, prayer, that's not spiritual meat. That's just kindergarten stuff. It's, it, it, it's meat. It's meat. It becomes meat when you actually do it. You know? It, it, it's people given over to prayer. 
getting into the word like never before. That's meat. I, I, I'll even say this. Do you know it's not my job to spiritually feed you meat? That's your job. The more you get into the word, the more you get into the prayer, the more you'll experience the word when you're here and the more you'll experience prayer when you're here. This isn't a spoon feeding thing. I never was that good with infants. The word's an anchor for sure, but today I'm challenging you to pray. Somehow, some way, making time to talk to the Lord every day. We encouraged the uh, soap method of Bible reading last week. So if you need a method, if that helps you, there's people that that helps to, to help you pray. Then use the Acts method, right? We all know what that is. I think most of us do. A stands for adoration, and that's when you just praise and you worship God, and you start out that time. You're just like, I love you, God. You're so awesome. You're amazing. I praise you for all the things you're doing for my life. And then you go into confession, and you start confessing maybe your shortcomings, some sins, some things you need to work on. Uh, you just tell them about it. Say, I'm struggling with this, Lord, and help me. Give me strength. And then you go into a time of, of, of thanksgiving where you're just grateful uh, for your life and for the people around you. And you start thanking God for all the blessings that you have and that he's, he's uh, poured upon you. And then, and then you move into supplication at the end, which is supplication is just a big fancy word for saying you give God your requests. You just start saying, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. I pray for this person. I pray for that person. Your list, your prayer list, the ones you write down all week that you say you're going to pray for, and then sometimes you do, <laughs> right? You, you, you give those supplications then. You, you give him those prayer requests at that point. That's a great method to use. It keeps your prayer, your prayer uh, time moving forward. And if you need that, use that. You know, that's, that's, that's a good thing. And as a church, we're dedicating the next five mornings to prayer. You know, if, if you're not a youth and you can only come at 6 because you work early and you want to come at 6 to 7 and join the youth, I don't think Pastor Donnie will kick you out. You know, I don't think he'll say, ah, oh, you're too old to be in here praying. So, um, you know, come at that time. And then we're going to continue on from 7 to 8. And for those of you that can make it, make it. We're going to be in the prayer room. I think Pastor Donnie, you're meeting in the youth room, right? And so then they, if they overlap, it's okay. Uh, but um, some of you might want to come at 6 and stay till 8. Who knows? Two hours of prayer. Oh, my gosh. That's almost, a, that's almost tithing my time in prayer. Another 40 minutes, two hours and 40 minutes, that'd be, a tithe, that'd be 10% of your day. That'd be weird. Would it? Tuesday night, we have an elder board meeting. And as you guys know, we, we want to follow the scripture. It says, if you have a need, call for the elders of the church. If there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Who's supposed to call? Who's supposed to call? Well, there's a lot of confusion on that one. If you have a need, you call the elders of the church. You. That's your act of faith. For you to call the elders of the church and ask for prayer. There's no, no, not very, I shouldn't say no, but not very many churches practice this that I know of. Where they just sit there and they go, oh, I have a need. I wish the elders would call me. If it was a good church, the pastor would be on the phone right now. He would already know in the power of the Spirit that I need prayer. He would know I'm in the hospital suffering. How come he doesn't call me? Because there's 1,200 people that call us their church, and I don't know everybody who's in the hospital. It's hard. So you call for the elders of the church, right? So we made it even easier than that. 
We're going to meet. Every board meeting, we meet in the prayer room before the board meeting, and anybody who needs prayer, anybody who wants prayer from the elders as their act of faith can come that night, and we will pray. And I'm telling you what, we got an elder board that's awesome. They're not going to care about the meeting until we're done praying with everybody. And if we have to reschedule the meeting, we absolutely will. I want that to happen. Because I'm not much of a meeting guy anyway. Yeah. We're also challenging you to add fasting to your prayers. We didn't even get to that today. But Jesus told us, he told us more than one time to fast and pray. I don't know of a lot of Americans who, who just are active fasters. I know a few. It should be a common Christian practice, shouldn't it? Fasting is giving up food for a meal for a day to seek him instead, or maybe a meal or for a whole day. It's denying our flesh. I know people have done it three days, seven days. I know people have done it 40 days. But it's denying our flesh what it wants in order to feed our spirit man. It was a common practice for early believers. And like I said, it's not so common today. Maybe it should be. And these of all, of course, are just ways to prime the pump. I, we, we just want to prime the pump in your prayer life. The real goal and challenge this morning is this, that your prayer life depending on where you're at in all this, will begin, increase, intensify, or explode into a ministry for your whole life. Let prayer become that anchor it was meant to be. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.